My Car Guru, episode 214. Hello again, and welcome to this edition of My Car Guru. This is Lenny Lawson. I am your connection to a better car life. Yes, that's what I call it. It is a big part of your life. You know, my hotline, it's really my cell phone, is always open to your text questions or calls if I'm not busy uh, running my car dealership. The phone number is 423-552-2020. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm still an active car dealer. I know I'm beyond retirement age, traditional retirement age, but I didn't go to work for a big corporation or somebody that pushes you out the door when you get to a certain age, I decided to follow in my dad's footsteps and become a new car dealer. So I am a Ford dealer and a Nissan dealer in my little town in East Tennessee. For those of you who, you know, don't live in this area, because this is a podcast now, uh, local radio show listeners, uh, this is a podcast. So that's sometimes I have to, I don't know, expand a little bit on the situation here because... A lot of people think that maybe, you know, people in Tennessee aren't that smart. But we are. We know how smart we are. We are smart enough to live here, right? That's pretty smart. So I am a car guru. I've become one over a 44-year career. and uh, But I did have a, an acquaintance who, I've known, who has really known me since I was 14. He came into the showroom the other day. He said, "I knew you before you were a car guru." He was he listened to the radio show and and uh, he said, "Yeah, I knew I knew you when you didn't know squat." I said, "Don't say that out loud in my showroom. I've got employees around here. They need to know that I was came out of the womb knowing this stuff." Not really. I just um, he he's a an old friend and and you know he knew me when I had big hair. You know, back in the 70s, bell-bottom jeans, button-up flies, uh, multicolored shirts, platform shoes, and big hair. That was me. Although I did go through a dingo boot phase uh, when I started dating my girlfriend who became my wife and still is. Um, I, I went through, yeah, I was wearing dingo boots. I still have them. I thought about getting them bronzed. That's a little, that was just too expensive, though. I don't know where I'd put them either. But yeah, we all go through phases. I'm in a, a different phase now. I'm actually wearing um, them today. As far as shoes are concerned, I go through phases. I'm wearing Olakai's. You ever uh, bought Olakai's? They're really comfortable, but they're terrible for walking. They will destroy your Achilles tendon, which might have been destroyed twice. So uh, they're not really good for walking, but they're great for just sliding on. They're really easy. The heel folds down on them, and then it makes it easy just to slide them on. You can wear them as slippers, or you can, like me, wear them to work until they start looking ratty. Then my wife complains at me. But before we uh, ruin this show totally, I'm going to go ahead and uh, deal with a couple questions that I had emailed to me. Thank you again for emailing at, at uh, mycarguru2020 at gmail.com because I love answering your questions. Lenny, what exactly is gap insurance? Well, gap insurance is a finance product that's sold in car dealerships. Independent insurance companies can sell gap insurance as well. But gap stands for guaranteed asset protection. And basically, it steps in when your insurance company, let's say you your vehicle is stolen or it's totaled. It's total loss. That's the only time that gap insurance applies. It doesn't apply 
to a collision that is repairable, you get your car fixed. Gap, Gap is not paying anything. So, you know, they step in and they pay the difference between what you owe on your vehicle and what the insurance company is willing to pay you for your vehicle. Now, in recent years, that hasn't been a problem because car, used cars and trucks and, and SUVs have actually appreciated in value. Uh, therefore, the gap underwriters have looked pretty good, you know, because they haven't pa- been paying as many dollars in claims. But gap insurance is something that you really need to think about uh, whether you need it or not. Um, if you are, you know, let's say that you're not paying anything down on a 84-month finance contract. Might be a good idea uh, to consider gap insurance as long as they don't overcharge for it. What is overcharging for gap Probably anything north of uh, eight hundred to a thousand dollars. If if you're paying fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars for Gap, you're getting ripped. So uh, don't buy Gap and and pay too much for it. Also, don't buy Gap if you pay a lot of money down. You don't need to. It's just not necessary. There's not going to be a gap. Your insurance company is going to be able to pay off your unpaid balance on your loan. So you don't need Gap, and don't let some finance manager talk you into it. Okay, other question. Lenny, should I be concerned about the limits of liability? Limits of liability on my insurance policy. So I guess they're talking about their car insurance. And uh, yeah, you know, as litigious as this society is, people like to sue others, especially if they're injured in a car wreck. You know, you see all of these um, billboards of all these lawyers. If you're injured, call us. We will get you the maximum award. That's, um, you know, just driving down the interstate. You're going to see a lot of those billboards. And it makes me think, well, maybe I ought to increase my limits. I have a huge liability policy because I own a business. And it's called an umbrella liability policy. So it just makes me feel protected. Uh, you might want to consider a lot of uh, liability policies are limited to twenty five thousand dollars bodily injury per person, fifty thousand per accident limit, and and ten thousand on property damage. I don't know. I mean if you run into somebody's, you know, water fountain, it could cost ten thousand dollars. So I would at least kick it up to the one hundred, three hundred fifty limit, which is one hundred thousand bodily injury per person, three hundred thousand bodily injury per accident limit, and fifty thousand property damage. But you can buy an umbrella policy, too. They're not that expensive, and you can ask your agent. You know, if you own property, if you, let's say your house is paid for. Uh, Let's say that, um, you know, you've got a little nest egg, and and you're pretty secure. You know, if you go out and run over somebody, they're going to come after you. And um, you might want to get like a million um, umbrella. It's not that expensive. Uh, Check into it, ask your agent, and shop around. You know, go to an independent agent because they can shop around and find out if, you know, it may be expensive if you just go to, I'm not going to name any name brands of insurance, but, you know, I don't, you know, as long as it's cheap, and it is, um, I think extra liability coverage is a smart thing for the average citizen to do. Most people don't know it's even available, but that's why you listen to this radio show. Okay, I'm going to take my first break, and I'll be back here in just a minute. You know, I've always been an advocate of getting to know the people that you do business with. Uh, of course, I live in a small town. I'm in a population about 
18,000. And, uh, but it feels like a 50,000 population town when you're driving through it. It's because we have so much industry, and a lot of people come in from all over the place to work here. Just the city limits isn't that big. But I still, you know, I like to know the people that I'm doing business with. And in many cases, uh, people don't think that's important anymore. You know, they're just going to, you know, you think about getting somebody to do some remodeling for you or uh, to do maybe pressure wash your house. They just go to Angie's List or something and just look up some total stranger. I like to connect with those people and, uh, you know, get to know them on a first-name basis. Put them in my favorite list under plumber or pressure washer or car dealer, for that matter. For example, yesterday at lunch, I was eating at a local eating establishment, and I saw this guy that I recognized, and uh, he said, uh, I, you'd be happy with me. I have a car in your service department. Well, I said, I'm, I appreciate it, but I'm not really happy because why is it there? You know, you have a problem. He said, yeah, they said they can't work on it for like 12 more days. And, and my wife and I are just really scram- scrambling for a vehicle. And I said, well, why didn't you call me? He said, well, I didn't want to bother you or anything. So, you know, I look, I was thinking about people in general and levels of friendship that you have. I, I believe there are four levels of friends. And uh, let me see if I can figure this out. First level are people, your most intimate friends, your besties, your besties, the people who know more about you than you wish they did, probably. Um, those are your closest friends. Level one. Level two <clears throat> are people that you know. And they know you on a first-name basis. And occasionally you might get together and do things, and, you know, you're friendly and go maybe watch ball games. You're not going to be invited probably to their house to eat. You're not that good of friends. You're not level one. But you're level two, and, and that's a good place to be as well. Level three, they know you, but you're not really sure what their name is. Well, this guy was level three. I wasn't exactly sure. So, um, and then all of a sudden it came to me, and I remembered but that's a level three friend. They know you, but you don't really know them. Now, level four, that's the final level of friendship. Those You don't know them, and they don't know you, but every time you meet in a grocery store, you say, hey, what's up? Like you do know them. And if they ask, do you really know who I am? You just pray that they don't ask you that question. Because Plus, if you ask them the question, they would be embarrassed as well because they really don't know who you are either. Um, so anyway, I thought you might need that, um, that lesson on friendship. So I ran into this level three and, um, he said, yeah, I've, I've got my car in your shop and I'm just without. And I said, well, you, you should have let me know that. Of course he does know who I am cause he's level three. And, uh, so he said, well, that's great. But what do I, and I said, listen, come to the dealership after lunch and I'll give you something to drive. Really? Yeah. That's what I do. Um, I didn't say, we're level three. I was treating him like a level one. But I try to treat everybody like a level one. And so he said, well, that'd be wonderful. And this is a guy that needs his vehicle for, you know, his business. And so now he knows me. I gave him my business card. I gave him my, my you know, it has my cell phone on it. Now, granted, you know, I am probably one of the most accessible car dealers in the world. Because I choose to be. but and, and you may not be able to get to the dealer, but you can know like a service advisor, uh, somebody that works in the sales department, especially the person that you bought your car from. Of course, there's no guarantee that he'll re- remember your name. 
Um, but you want to find, you know, those people that work in the store that you can connect with and, and you know, go back to whenever you need something. I mean, uh, I used to make service appointments for uh, customers. I said, listen, if you, you know, they just bought a car from me, and I said, if you ever can't get through the service or whatever, just call me. Here's my my phone number. Back then, I didn't have a cell phone. Here's my phone number. Just call me, ask for me, and I'll make your appointment for you, and I'll make sure they take good care of you. Really? You'll do that? Yes, that's what I that's what I do. And uh, where'd I learn that? My dad, you know, he was a big um, big advocate of being a servant. He loved the the servant leadership mentality. And you know, you are rewarded when you do that kind of stuff with people's business. You know, you get their trust. You uh, don't want to ever let them down because you know how costly that can be. The old rule was that if if you up you know I guess made somebody mad in your business they would tell at least five people or maybe it was more than that um, and but they'd never come back to you either so you lose them and and you lose pro- probably five or ten other people now with Facebook and Twitter and all the other things they can uh, destroy your reputation uh, Google ratings that's another way to do it. Um, you know, my, I always hope that if somebody is upset with me that they'll give me an opportunity to fix it or, and, and one of my employees. I, so I brought one of my employees in a little while ago, and I want to go over what I talked to him about. This is about relationships, and this is what, what uh, I preach in my business, uh, how important it is to connect with people on more than just a transactional level, but connect with them on a human level. Think about their life and what they're going through and make your decisions based on that because they don't necessarily care what's going on with you personally. You know, the fact that you're having problems at home or, you know, some other kind of an issue that you're having. You're having a bad day. You know, to them every day, they come up to you, they want to be served, right? They want to be taken care of and they would prefer to be taken care of by a person who really cares, and you demonstrate that by your actions. So here, here's the couple of the questions that I asked him. Okay, and most of these questions have to deal with convenience for the customer. So the first question I asked him, if someone comes in for a scheduled appointment for a repair and then decides that they also suddenly need an oil change, will they get it today? And he said, well, not always. He said, because we don't have it scheduled for them to get an oil change. I said, you mean we can't do an oil change for somebody on the spur of the moment? Well, I guess we can. Not always, though, because everybody's busy. Okay, that's just something I wanted to know. Okay, another question that I asked him was, uh, what would you do to improve the customer experience in our write-up process, uh, keeping customers informed with updates and delivery process? Oh, he gave me all kinds of little ideas. Then I, you know, sometimes if you don't ask people uh, their opinion, you'll never get it. And especially if, you know, they think you're, okay, so I'm the owner of the dealership and they maybe don't see me as often as they see their cohorts, you know, in the department and stuff. But when I come through, you know, maybe they think that I'm too busy and don't think they're important, but nothing could be further from the truth. And if they really feel that way, then I haven't done my job. You know, I have to make sure that every employee in my business knows and understands that I'm available to them. Now, I might might not be available on demand, but I have to be accessible. But, you know, who has to open that door? 
not them. Now, I have some of my employees that will. I mean, they'll come a-knocking, you know, just and they would do from day one. Matter of fact, I've hired some young guys. Here I am, an old man now, and I've hired some young guys, and they'd start right off the bat saying, we say, Lenny, you know, and, you know, that used to bother my dad, but that doesn't bother me. You know, I just roll on. But still, um, those people who don't feel comfortable talking to the boss need to be, feel comfortable, and you have to create that setting. Don't you agree? I think that's important. Uh, so anyway, he, he came up with some ideas. He, he just, right off the top of his head, now he'd been thinking about these things, but I was farming, you know? I mean, we plant seeds, we, get, uh, we tend the crop, and the crop is, uh, you know, the, the product that we produce, and, and we want to make sure that, that crop is top quality, very edible. And if we're not taking care of it and the people who are tending our crops, then, then we're going to have dissatisfied customers and we're going to have defection. And that's the worst thing that a dealership can have. We want retention, not defection. What, what makes people defect? What's when they don't get what they want, when we don't think, make things convenient? You know, we're not just competing as a car dealer with other car dealers. We're competing with the experiences that people have with other businesses. We're competing with Amazon. You know, if somebody wants to order floor mats, we have to make it as easy as Amazon, except we have to go above and beyond that because we're not going to deliver it to their door necessarily, but we might have to. You know, we can. I guess we can have something shipped to somebody's door. But, you know, all of those things, you know, with the, <clears throat> the restaurant down the street that's really innovative, that really goes creates a great atmosphere. You know, if they walk into our dealership and it's just, bleh, you know, boring. So what if you have a TV? You know, half the time it doesn't work. You know, those types of things that just say, you know, if the restaurant down the street can, you know, do this right, well, how come Gateway Ford can't? Well, we can, and we do, and we try. But if we're not listening to our employees about our defects, then um, those defects will become pervasive in our business, like an infection. And we need to make sure that doesn't happen. We don't want to be infected. Um, I asked him also, if you could change anything about your job, our processes, our overall service department, what would it be? And I realize that that's a pretty deep question, and is he going to feel comfortable answering it? Well, that's why I do these things one-on-one. -on -one. And I also begin the conversation by putting them at ease. I say, listen, I'm not going to share this with your boss. I'm going to, this is between you and me. And you know, some of the changes that you suggest may be suggested later on, but it'll be anonymous, and I appreciate it. And I talk to all of my uh, service advisors and salespeople the same way. I want them to feel comfortable leveling with me. Uh, because if they aren't, then um, then I'm doing something wrong. It's not them. You know, we just have to create the scenario where they do feel comfortable. I wonder if that's going on at Twitter right now. Uh, probably not. Well, you know, Elon is. Uh, I just, you know, I'm not much of a Twitter person, but when I started seeing a lot of information about uh, his takeover of Twitter, I had to check it out. I downloaded the app and got in, uh, put in a username and stuff like that. And it's really kind of interesting, but it, it is kind of addictive. I need to watch that. You know, I don't need that addiction. I've got plenty of other things to do. All right, I'm going to take my last break and I'll be back here in just a minute. Are you picky? 
Are you picky about the level of service that you receive? And if you don't receive good service, what do you do? Do you complain? You know, I, I've always said that a complaint is an opportunity. If, if somebody's, you know, out of sorts or unhappy with uh, something that we did or service, I want to know about it. You know, sometimes I'll admit that, that some of them are pretty lame uh, some people can go overboard with their complaints. We've got a guy going right, just going nuts right now because there's certain features on his vehicle that, uh, well, certain features that were available on F-150s that aren't on his vehicle, and he cannot understand uh, why they aren't there. I mean, I don't know how you answered that. I mean, it's not like he was deceived. I mean, he did a lot of shopping and all. Didn't even buy it from us. But he's mad at us because we can't make these features work on his vehicle. Uh, it's like saying, "Okay, I don't like my manual transmission. I want it, and I want it to be an automatic. Please make it so." Uh, we can't do that, and so, you know, sometimes the complaints are unreasonable, but many times, most times, they're legitimate, and a lot of times they are uh, our fault. Most of the time, they're our fault. And not because we maybe messed up, didn't do a repair right or something. We didn't communicate right. We we didn't do the things to keep the customer informed. You know, we didn't um, proactively keep them informed. You know, I've always told my people, I said, it's not their job to know the status of the repair. It's our job to communicate that to them so that they, you know, feel like we care and we do care. Although I have had some employees over the years that didn't care. And they don't work for me anymore. Uh, you know, I'll try to correct those behaviors a couple times. But beyond that, if they're not getting the fundamentals, then uh, they don't, they're going to have to work it down the road motors because it's not going to be at Gateway. So, uh, you know, I try to give you guys an insight, uh, insider's look to this business and what we try to do to, to run our business. And some, some of you may find that interesting. I hope it's helpful in some way, maybe with your business or somebody that you know running one. Uh, there is no more important thing that you can do than to connect with your team and make sure that they understand what your priorities are. You understand what their priorities are, and you try to get on the same page with each other. Because if you do not do that, then you will not be able to serve your customers the way they deserve to be served. Okay. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and we will see you next time.